0: Welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Today, you are going to learn how to outsmart emotional eating and live a life of happiness and joy without giving up the foods you love. Now, here is Dr. Nina. Hi
1: there. Welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. I am your host, Dr. Nina Savelle Rocklin, psychoanalyst, and I'm here to help you liberate yourself from emotional eating, take control of your life, and feel good in your body all without dieting, spending hours in the gym, or counting a single calorie, carb, or macro. Today's topic is how to stop binge eating at night. It's a big topic for a lot of people. So let me ask you something. Do you find yourself heading to the kitchen at night, even when you're not hungry? Does it sometimes feel as if you can't stop eating? You want to stop, But you can't, you feel hopeless, exhausted, and defeated, and you worry that nothing will ever change. You are not alone, and there is nothing wrong with you. You don't lack willpower, it's not about control, it's not even about food. If you're binging at night, it is for a reason, and that reason may have to do with dieting and deprivation during the day, or it may be a way of coping. So let's look at both. So as far as deprivation and nighttime eating, dieting and deprivation leads to binging for both physical and psychological reasons. So physically, not eating enough during the day can make you hungry really, really hungry, maybe even ravenous. So when you finally start eating, it can take time to register that you're full, that you're satiated, and you may end up eating way too much. And suddenly you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe I ate all that. And those quote unquote binges, I guess they're technically binges, um, but they're driven by physical hunger, and they don't cause shame. You might think, oh, I really overdid it. I ate too much. I'll eat less tomorrow. I'll do an extra workout at the gym, something like that. And by the way, weight loss diets always, always, always involve some kind of deprivation, which leads to overeating or binging. Because the anticipation of deprivation, knowing at some point in the future, you're not going to be able to eat something that you really like, or the experience of deprivation, not being able to eat something you really like, just makes you want that more. And by the way, this is in line with uh, the results of studies, multiple studies, in which dieters were studied, um, uh, and, and it was shown that they have increased cravings for their forbidden foods when they're on a diet. One, one dieter put it this way. They said, when you're on a diet, it's harder to avoid unhealthy foods. Like, This person said ice cream is something I like having once a week, but when I'm on a diet, I want to have it every day. On the other hand, when people are allowed to eat their forbidden foods, and they're made not forbidden, just food, they often eat less. And participants in various studies were asked to eat their forbidden foods as part of their treatment And the researchers hypothesized, some of them, that they wouldn't be able to stop. Some of these researchers were trying to make a case for food addiction. And they were told to eat these, quote unquote, addictive foods, thinking that they would just not be able to stop. But the opposite happened. They ate less, which is the opposite of what food addiction theory would expect. And let me give you a little example from my own life. So this is my personal experience with one of my kids at Halloween, It it's a great example. So my, my daughter had a friend who wasn't allowed to eat sugar. Just sugar was just considered poison in her house and her mom thought sugar, like literally thought it was poison and said it was bad and she didn't allow any sugar in the house. So what do you think this did to her child? Well, I can tell you for sure, no kid goes, oh, sugar is bad. I don't want any of that bad stuff. No, no, not me. No, if anything, she wanted it more. And that's why knowing that her Halloween candy was going to get confiscated after she went trick-or-treating, she began sneaking candy early in the night. That kid ate so much candy, she ended up with a really bad stomachache. And that's a classic example of how the anticipation of deprivation just makes you want more so trying to control your intake of candy or whatever type of food it doesn't work actually it has the opposite effect it makes you want more of the forbidden fruit in this case candy and allowing kids and yourself most of all allowing yourself uh, to make your own choices that gives you a sense of empowerment and can lead to make better choices now if that sounds far-fetched let me tell you about what happened later on that that same halloween night so after a few hours of trick-or-treating my daughter announced she was really hungry and my husband looked at her and here she is carrying this king sized pillow pillowcase full of of candy and we We've been, we, we were at the Malibu colony where apparently they just give out full-size giant bars of whatever, not like, like the real world where you get the little tiny ones. No, she, had a, she had a king-size pillow bag of, of, of candy, and she's saying she's hungry, and my husband said, well, just have some candy. And she rolled her eyes at him, and she said, I don't want candy, Dad. I want real food. <gasps> I admit this was a proud moment for me. I was so happy because I realized, oh, my daughter really is an intuitive eater, even at the age of I think she was 10 or 11 at this time, and she recognized what her body needed rather than having candy because, oh, she wasn't allowed to have it. So, if it seems impossible that you could ever say anything like that, if if it seems impossible to you that you could ever be like, "No, I want real food." Then Think about what Nelson Mandela famously said. He said, it only is impossible until it is done. And he should know something about achieving the seemingly impossible, going from being imprisoned for, what is it, 26 years in South Africa to becoming its president. So it, it just seems impossible. It is possible because when you cultivate an intuitive approach to eating, you will naturally be drawn to good, healthy, nutritious food. It's getting to the point where you can be intuitive that is the trick. We can't just flip a switch in our brain and become in- intuitive. And and But when you are intuitive, that that's why my daughter wanted real food. She was tuned into what her body wanted, even at that young age she knew she could have as much candy as she wanted. She didn't want any. On the other hand, her friend knew that candy was going to be taken away. So she ate too much of it. And this highlights the importance of psychology when it comes to certain behaviors around food. So these are the reasons why dieting and deprivation can lead to binging at night. But other reasons returning to food at night may involve trying to change our energy levels. Sometimes we we binge or, or overeat to sedate ourselves, especially when we're anxious. When you have a lot of super carby foods, it has that relaxing effect on your body, and that relaxing effect on your body kind of has a relaxing effect on your mind. So you may be eating certain foods as a sedative, right? Um, or you might want the opposite may be true. You might want to wake up, uh, particularly if you're having high sugar food. You might want to just uh, like, like amp yourself up. And by the way, it's not that we're thinking that. We don't think, "Oh, I'm feeling really stressed. I think I'll binge on carbs to create a sense of relaxation in my body, hoping it will also relax my mind. Said no person ever. That is not how it works. It is not conscious. It is not a conscious thought. It is unconscious, which means it's out of awareness, but not out of operation. And that is the, the essence of an unconscious thought. We're not aware of it, but it impacts us. And again, the opposite is also true. We can turn to food to feel energized. This isn't emotional hunger, but it is the wrong experience to Exhaustion, or it is the wrong is the wrong um, response to exhaustion. It's the wrong response to uh, feeling kind of you know anxious and jittery. If you're tired, you need rest, not food. If you're anxious, you need to cultivate a new way of responding to yourself. All right, so that is about how dieting and deprivation and maybe uh, misattunement. Can affect binge eating at night, but that is really the least of it. When it comes to binge eating disorder, by the way, the most common and prevalent type of eating disorder that no one knows they have, they think they're food addicts, they think they're, uh, you know, have no willpower, no control, they think there's something wrong with them. No, many, many, many people don't realize they actually have binge eating disorder, which is a treatable condition. Binge eating disorder means that you're binging as a way of coping with something inside. It's about using food for for comfort, distraction, to numb ourselves, express feelings of pain, anger, anxiety, or anything uncomfortable. We may talk about, oh, I'm in physical pain because I ate so much. Well, maybe you're converting emotional pain to physical pain. Or maybe you're, oh, I ate so much. I'm so uncomfortable. Maybe you're focusing on your uncomfortable physical sensations instead of attending to emotional, un, you know, uncomfortable emotion emotions at that moment. So also let's just take a moment. I think it's really important because when I talk about binges or binge eating, lots of people have very different ideas of what that means some people say they binge when they ate four cookies others will say they ate 40 cookies and that's a binge so let me just take a moment to define what i mean by binge eating in the first place because whether your consumption of food actually qualifies as as a binge it it doesn't matter if it causes you distress it needs your attention but still I want to educate you on what is a binge anyway, because binge eating is different from overeating, which means eating to excess. And the reasons for overeating can be very diverse. They're usually unrelated to our emotional state, right? We just, we just. We just eat too much for whatever reason. Maybe we didn't eat enough during the day and we got so super hungry we overate. Maybe it's Thanksgiving and you're expected to eat too much. Overeating is just eating too much. Binge eating is characterized by having a lot of food in a single sitting and often eating compulsively and maybe not even with enjoyment and not really truly experiencing the, the taste. It's this frenetic, horrible, unstoppable, the like, tidal wave that takes over you and you feel like you can't stop and you want to stop, but you can't. Binging serves as a way of dealing with internal turmoil. It means using food as a source of comfort, distraction, all the things I was talking about just a moment ago. And it is usually followed by regret guilt, shame. So whereas overeating sounds like, mm, I overdid it. Okay, I'll just have less tomorrow or whatever. When you binge, when you binge as part of binge eating disorder or as a way of coping emotionally, you think, what's wrong with me? Oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? It's more than regret over, over the food you ate. It's a sense of shame. It leads to harsh self-judgment, lowered self-esteem. It's the worst. It's a nightmare. It is terrible. Not only do you feel bad about what you ate, you feel bad about yourself. And you think there's something wrong with you. So the biggest takeaway here is binge eating at night or any time. It is not about willpower. It is not about control. It is not about addiction. And it is only very obliquely about food. So let me talk about four steps. I want to give you four steps to stop binge eating at night. So to solve the mystery of why you are binging at night, you got to think like a detective. right? I call myself a detective of the mind. I love detective stories, starting with all the Nancy Drews I read when I was like six. <laughs> I never stopped love detective stories love being a detective of the mind and detectives when they find a clue they don't say oh that's a weird clue that that clue is shameful oh that clue is embarrassing no they say "Mm, okay that's a clue now we know more so i want you to be curious about the reasons behind the behavior um, instead of getting upset with yourself attacking yourself just leads to eating for comfort. It's a vicious cycle. You get mad at yourself. You eat to get away from your own mean, harsh voice. Then you feel a lot of regret. You don't know how to comfort yourself except with food. And boom, the cycle continues. So let's stop that cycle by identifying the difference between, first, emotional hunger and physical hunger. So here's what physical hunger looks like. So physical hunger is physical. Physical. Physical hunger is like a gurgling stomach. You feel lightheaded. Maybe you're hangry. You just feel it in your body. Maybe you get a headache, especially if you haven't eaten in hours. You feel hunger physically when you're physically hungry. Um personally, when I'm hungry, I just start losing my words. I just it's like something just doesn't connect. And I I just I feel kind of lightheaded and I lose my words that's how I know that I'm hungry. Emotional hunger, on the other hand, looks like, uh, oh, a specific food sounds good. Oh, it looks good. Or maybe you want to reward yourself and you feel like you deserve it. I deserve this cupcake or whatever. I, I deserve that candy bar. I deserve some pizza. Or you want to calm down or feel better emotionally. So it, very important just Stop and ask yourself the next time you're heading to the kitchen because you feel that that bingey feeling stop and ask yourself what type of hunger are you actually experiencing right now and be very honest with yourself and if you're not sure still whether it is emotional or physical hunger try postponing eating for like I like to say 3 minutes but if that seems so long that it's impossible try 30 seconds. Just see what happens. If you're physically hungry, you're going to get a little bit hungrier, but not so ravenous that you totally lose control and binge. If you're emotionally hungry, you may become more aware of the underlying emotions that are the driving force behind the urge to eat. Now, if that happens, it is time to go surfing. Yes, I live in LA 20 minutes from the beach surfing have i ever been on a surfboard no i have not but i've seen many and i developed this idea that that when you want to binge you got to do some emotional surfing no surfboard or ocean required so here's what i mean when that urge to to either binge or keep eating strikes and it can be so powerful Just imagine you're surfing the feeling. Now think about a wave. A wave builds and builds and builds and builds in intensity and it just becomes more and more and more powerful and and strong and intense. And then what happens? It eventually just crests and then it crashes down and it disappears. The same thing with a binge. It can build up, it builds up, it feels really, really intense but it won't stay that intense. And that is something to keep in mind when you want to eat for emotional reasons. That craving, that urge, it is not going to last. I promise you. And if you can ride that wave, if you can surf just a few minutes, it will pass. And when you know whether you are hungry for food or whether you're eating to resolve an internal conflict or state or distract from it, because if you're thinking about, oh, look at what I ate, or I I want to eat that, you're not thinking about other things in your life. When you're able to say, wait, what am I trying to cope with? What's really going on with me? When you're a detective, when you're curious, what's going on with me? What am I actually feeling? What am I actually thinking about? What would I, you know, what would I be thinking about if I weren't heading for the kitchen? More on that later. Um, just try this physical versus emotional hunger, and then um, surf, surf, go surfing, go emotional surfing. And three minutes may not seem like a long time, but it can make a big difference. And if it does seem like a long time, by the way, anyone who's ever given birth knows how long three minutes can be. Oh, ouch. Well, 30 seconds, right? You can do anything for 30 seconds. So try the, try Thirty seconds, and then go from there. All right. So that is step one. Step two is, um, and I'm I'm going to get a little bit more into this after the break, which we have coming up soon. I want you to think about doing a little magic. Um, now, for the video here, I do have my magic wand, right? I have my magic wand. I have been told that it works, just slowly, right? But check this out. So you've identified that you are physically hungry or emotionally hungry. So if you're physically hungry, you got to eat more during the day so that you don't get so ravenous at night. If you identified, no, no, this is not physical hunger, but it's emotional hunger, then you're experiencing um, uh, something like you're experiencing emotional eating. Emotional eating doesn't just mean, oh, I broke up with my boyfriend, where's the, where's the ice cream? It means, ooh, something's going on with me that I don't wanna look at or feel. So I'm going to just uh, think about something else. It's a distraction. I know, I'll think about food and oh, I'll think about how I have no control. And now you're not thinking about the original thing, you're thinking about something that is a distraction even if it's a painful distraction. But you got to start looking for those clues about what's actually triggering you. And that's where my magic wand comes in. And, you know, imagine that this wand worked right away. It worked immediately. And when I wave it over you, I take away all thoughts of food, weight, body image, all the things. Imagine that. What would be left? What would you be worried about? What would be on your mind? That's something that I want you to consider. It takes courage to do that, but let's just take a moment and consider it. Uh, we're going to head for a break soon, As and while I'm on break, for two minutes, I would like you to think about, hmm, if that magic wand worked, what would be on my mind if I weren't thinking about food? Hmm, be a detective, be curious, not critical. You can do it. And I'll see you in two minutes.
0: Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you tired of the endless cycle of dieting and binging? Ready to break free from emotional eating and regain control of your life? Look no further than The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina, the transformative radio show that will empower you on your journey to food freedom. Dr. Nina is here to guide you every step of the way. Join her as she delves into the true causes of binge eating, uncovers hidden triggers, and gives you effective strategies for lasting change. With practical tips and inspiring stories of transformation, The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina will help you nurture a healthier mindset, embrace self-compassion, and rediscover your true self. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Have questions for Dr. Nina? Join her on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now back to the show.
1: Welcome back to the Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. All right, so we talked about we're talking about how to stop binge eating at night. We talked about some of the physical reasons and some of the psychological reasons, and now we're going over the the steps to stop binge eating at night. And the first step, of course, is identify if it is physical hunger or emotional hunger, and then we're on step two, which is uh, to do a little magic. So. If you have been if you were were listening to the show and I had asked you if I waved my magic wand and I could take away all thoughts of food, weight, body image, all of that stuff, what would be left? What would you be worried about? What would you be concerned about? What would be on your mind? Because our minds are incredibly adept at protecting ourselves by um but from upsetting or, or or unpleasant thoughts or emotions, we protect ourselves um, by by going to something else so quickly we don't even know that we felt anything. So we protect ourselves from worrying about certain things by worrying about other things that are maybe we find easier. So. For example, if you think your, your problem with binge eating at night is because you're addicted to food or you lack willpower or that you're triggered by food, I want to assure, assure you this is not true. The truth is this so-called addiction or lack of willpower, it is really your mind's way of coping with something else. And I'm going to give you an, an example. I'm going to give you an example of um, my client, Annette. Now, Annette was convinced that she was addicted to sugar. She said, and I quote, sugar is my personal crack. That's what she said. She couldn't imagine a world in which she could have some sugar because she just, she couldn't get enough of it. And she liked to bake cookies with her kids. And when she would make cookies with her kids, she would find excuses to get them out of the kitchen so she could eat a bunch of cookie dough In by herself, before they put them in the oven, she really, really felt like a food addict. But when we dug into this, we discovered she was actually using cookies and and other forms of sugar as as a substitute for fun. She was going through a messy divorce at the time she had an unsatisfying job. She had no source of enjoyment in her life other than uh, the the sweetness of sugar. and once she began to realize this. She started taking action, and and by the way, I, I should say she was she was not an entirely on board with this idea. There was a part of her that was like, mm, no, I really am a, f- a food addict. I I can't have sugar in the house. But okay, maybe I also need more fun. But, so she wasn't just like, yes, this is it. I see the light. No, she was she was still reticent about this. But she got a new job, a job that fulfilled her. She took up some new hobbies, and then baking cookies with her friend for her, with her kids became a fun activity to do together. And she was eventually able to do what she would consider the impossible. She could have one or two cookies without feeling this urge to have a whole bunch more and without feeling deprived. It used to be that if she made cookies with her kids and she knew the cookies were in the kitchen all night, her mind would be on those cookies. She couldn't stop thinking about the cookies. But once she had more joy and fun and satisfaction in her life, she no longer felt the pull towards cookies and she could have some. So focus on what you would feel if you weren't focused on food. Now, in terms of feelings, we are taught not to have them, right? So sometimes it's hard to know what it is that you are feeling. We go so quickly to, uh, to food to protect ourselves. We don't even know we're being triggered or that we're feeling anything. So there are our six basic human emotions, anger, fear, sadness, joy, surprise, and disgust. And all these emotions can be, all emotions can be distilled into one of those on the list. So, for example, shame is actually associated with disgust. Frustration is a form of anger. Anxiety is a form of fear. All right, so, so far, we've looked at separating physical hunger from emotional hunger, getting curious about the hidden triggers to binging at night. And once you identify the true trigger, what is it that you are feeling? It is time for the next step, step three, which is to express your emotions. We can't ignore our emotions. We can't get rid of feelings by dropping them, ignoring them, positive thinking them away, dismissing them, minimizing them. We can't use gratitude to to stop feeling something, and we definitely cannot stuff them down. But many of us do not know how to feel our feelings, and that is because our culture discourages emotionality. We get the message Hey, you're strong if you can push down your emotions and you're weak if you can actually feel them or express them. But trying to ignore or push away unpleasant emotions, that only amplifies them. And when it comes to processing those feelings, a lot of us are lost. Many people, they know they have to express themselves, but they don't know how. And and people often say something along the lines of, "Well, so what do I do with these feelings? Do I just sit in them? Do I just sit in them until they go away? Absolutely not. We, we can't sit our way through feelings. And, and it's hard to sit with emotional feelings that are difficult, especially if we use coping strategies like binging to avoid that emotional discomfort. And that's why having a strategy is important. And at first, it may seem kind of awkward To process your emotions, it may feel uncomfortable, but with practice, it does become second nature. It becomes your new normal. So, by the way, if you're upset with another person and you hate confrontation, you do not have to talk to that person. I am in no way suggesting that expressing your feelings means saying to somebody else, hey, I'm upset with you. You can express anything without telling anyone else. And this is where journaling is so important. Or you could write a letter to the person that you're angry with. And by the way, you could be upset with people that you don't know personally or that have passed away. You can't talk to them even if you wanted to. Or, you know, you could talk to them. They won't talk back. I mean, if they do, let me know because that would be really interesting. If your feelings involve a situation and not a person, one of my favorite techniques is to write all the things that are upsetting you, frustrating you, everything that's scary, painful, upsetting, all the feelings, right? You write them on a piece of paper, an actual piece of paper. And then you you rip that paper up you tear it into a lot of tiny little pieces it is strangely satisfying and oddly effective and i discovered this when i was in grad school and a lot of us were really anxious we were worried we were we we were like really nervous about getting through school doing our, our our exams and and then later taking our license exams and all the things we were worried about and one day we had a get together and we just decided, let's write it all down and, and rip it up. And then we set it on fire in a bowl. And then we, we <laughs> it just sounds I, like the experience was great. But now that I'm talking about it, it does sound a little strange. But it was very effective. We set it, we put it in a metal bowl, we set it on fire, and then we flushed the ashes down the toilet. Now, I'm not advocating that you set anything on fire, but I am advocating that you write down your feelings and let it rip literally and figuratively, it was a way of symbolically getting rid of the feelings that felt very masterful. It felt very active and it was very helpful. So that's just a funny little exercise that I I like to do. And people always think it sounds really strange and then they do it and they say, "Oh, actually that was good. Yeah. So give it a try. Also be sure to express yourself with words and tone. That may seem obvious, but there is a difference between identifying your, your feelings. Like this is identifying. I'm angry. That's identifying your feelings. That's thinking your feelings, if that makes sense. There's a difference between that and expressing them. Oh, I'm so angry. Ugh, right? One is I'm angry. Oh, I'm so pissed. One is actually feeling them. So you can write in a journal or talk to someone about what you are feeling and why describe the situation and describe how it makes you feel. Very important. It's not just naming the emotion. It's talking about how it is affecting you. What does it mean? What does it mean about you, the situation, the future, the world, and also figure out a way that you can talk to someone, a trusted friend, or share in a group if you don't have anyone who would be on board with this idea. It really helps to have a community that you can connect with and who can understand what you're going through. And if you want to connect with my super supportive community that really understands, join my Facebook group, Dr. Nina's Food for Thought Community. So ideally, we need both. It's important to express ourselves when we're alone, especially at night. And 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 why do those feelings come up at night? Because during the day, we are busy. We're doing things. We're here, we're there, we're, we're doing all kinds of things. But at night, we're no longer distracted. And that is the time when we are alone with ourselves. And that's where some of these thoughts and these feelings, because thoughts lead to feelings, lead to behavior. That's when these feelings can start to arise. But when you use comfort words, you don't need comfort food. And after you've expressed these feelings, you want to respond to yourself. You've got, to, got to validate and acknowledge your experience. And it's important to do that without any apology or any, any guilt. We're, we're often told, hey, look on the bright side. Uh, just be grateful. It could have been worse. These comments, while well-meaning, they are not helpful. They are dismissive. You just end up feeling bad about feeling bad. But once you validate and acknowledge what you're going through emotionally, you are going to feel better. And the situation may not have changed. We don't express our feelings to change the situation, but, but we express ourselves so we change the way we feel about the situation, which is pretty pretty crucial. So the next step, step four is to turn your inner critic into a friend. It really is important to to be kind to yourself, to be a best friend to yourself. Now, maybe you can relate to Alyssa. She could not stop binging at night. She was busy all day, right? And her relationship with food was fine during the day. She could eat normally, as she put it. But nights were a completely different story. She ate dinner. And then even though she was not hungry, she always found herself snacking after dinner and she just kept going into the kitchen all night long. And she kept eating even when she was so full that her stomach hurt. Now, a little background on Alyssa. Alyssa was raised by very critical parents, I'd say who were never quite satisfied with her performance in school or in sports. When she got a report card with five A's and one B, they scolded her and punished her for the B. When she got 100% on a test, they wanted to know why she hadn't gotten extra credit. When she set a personal record in track, they predicted she would do even better the next time. When she went to a Big Ten college, they were disappointed, oh, she didn't attend an Ivy League school. Alyssa desperately wished that her parents could appreciate what she did well instead of focusing on what she didn't do. And when Alyssa bought a new house, she immediately criticized herself for not being able to afford a more expensive, bigger house. When she made partner in her law firm, she wondered why she hadn't done that earlier, at a younger age. No matter what she had accomplished, it was never good enough. So as an adult, Alyssa related to the accomplishments and achievements in exactly the way she was treated in childhood. By the way, this is why when people say, oh, is it always about the past? Why are you talking about the past? The past is past. Why can't we just deal with the present? My answer is that the past haunts our present. As you can see very clearly with Alyssa, she just internalized the past relationship with her parents, and now she was doing it to herself. Our goal is to put the past in the past. So just as Alyssa actually did when she realized she was repeating the worst moments of her childhood on a daily basis, and instead she began to treat herself with more appreciation and respect. And let me be very clear, this is not about blaming our parents. No, it's about explaining why you learned to cope with food in the service of creating something new. Blame is, it's their fault, poor me, I'm a victim. Explain is, oh, this happened, I internalized this message, and as a result, it's affected me in this way. I wanna understand that so that I can then create change. Because once you understand that and recognize how the past is affecting your present, you could be more fully present And you can create new strategies to relate to yourself differently. So in Alyssa's situation, the roots of her relationship with food went very deep because she never felt like she was good enough. She had terrible self-esteem and her lifelong solution to feeling bad was to eat for comfort and then become upset with herself for what she had eaten and how much she weighed. She She knew she was a good person, but somehow she never felt good enough for obvious reasons. I think based on the little I told you, I think you can understand why she felt that way. And she was sure that other people saw her the same way that she saw herself. And when she challenged that perspective by by challenging her assumptions, you know what they say about assumptions, assume makes an ass out of you and me. she, she realized that she had taken these ideas as truths. And when she did that and started being nicer to herself, she stopped eating for comfort and for distraction. She lost weight and she felt better. So how can you be nicer to yourself? You've got to look for opportunities to improve the way that you talk to yourself. Think about it this way. If you wouldn't say it, if you wouldn't say it to a child, a friend or someone you love, do not. Do not say it to yourself. You got to talk to yourself as you would talk to any person you like or love, right? Um, so let me, let me just wrap up this a bit. Again, how do you stop binge eating at night? You first, you be a detective. You figure out what, what are the reasons you're turning to food at night. Identify whether it's physical or emotional hunger, And use that imaginary magic wand to figure out what's actually bothering you and identify those true triggers. then express your emotions to unburden yourself and be a friend to yourself. Now, that last one is the biggest. It's really the biggie. And I want to talk a little bit more about that because often negative self-talk and cognitive distortions meaning we think something is true when it may not be we take something as true when it when there's another way to think about it they contribute a lot to the way we feel the way we talk to and about ourselves affects the way we feel and that in turn if you don't have a way to be kind to yourself because you can't be kind to yourself and be mean to yourself and cut yourself to shreds and berate yourself and bully yourself you can't bully yourself and bolster yourself at the same time you're going to use food to cope so i want to th- i want you to think about like those times when you mess up slightly like you know we all make mistakes when's the last time you messed up just a little bit not so bad but you thought something like oh my god i am such a failure i can't do anything right oh what's wrong with me sound familiar that right there, that is negative self-talk. It makes minor problems feel gigantic and it also causes you to underestimate yourself and your abilities. And so that, that is a way of talking to yourself that's harsh. If someone else made a mistake, would you say that to your friend? Would you say, oh my God, you're such a failure. You can't do anything right. Ugh, never, right? Never, ever. That's why before you say it to yourself, think about how you would say anything to anybody else. All right, now cognitive distortions, they're kind of like those uh, those funhouse mirrors. Have you ever seen those where they totally distort your reflection? Only they distort your thoughts instead of your image. And they can make you perceive situations as so much worse than they actually are. Like maybe, You are someone who is prone to all or nothing thinking. And that means if something isn't perfect, you see it as a total disaster or failure. Or maybe you overgeneralize, which, like one negative experience, has you convinced that you're doomed to a lifetime of failure. So, overgeneralization is when one thing happens and gets blown into one huge sweeping conclusion. Like you go on a date and it is an epic fail. So you decide, oh, that's it. I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. You're letting one bad date influence your view of your whole future. That's overgeneralizing. And mental filter, that's like, uh, I call it overgeneralizing's evil twin. That's when you focus on the one bad thing and completely ignore anything good. So imagine your partner says something critical and you decide your relationship is doomed, completely forgetting all the good times you've had and all the support you've been given. You're looking at everything through this negative filter. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's confirmation bias. We see, we see what we want to see. We we find the evidence we're looking for. I'm gonna give you just a, a couple of more. Um uh, So disqualifying the positive means taking out all the good stuff, maybe acknowledging it exists, but then just throwing it out the window. Like you're afraid you're not doing a good job at work. And although you get a good performance review, you tell yourself, oh, it's just because your boss didn't want to hurt your feelings. So it's sort of a way of turning positives into negatives or um, uh, the person who, 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 who was really upset because although she got 200 people, uh, wishing her happy birthday on Facebook, she didn't get a happy birthday from these two other people. So she got 200 people wishing her happy birthday, but the, but, but she was focused on the two people who didn't wish her happy birthday on Facebook. And therefore she was really bummed out. She was focusing on the two that didn't, and she absolutely filtered out all the 200 that did. And mind reading is, is, Another one it's when you you think you know exactly what someone is thinking, like someone scowls and you immediately decide they're judging you. right? So these are all these are all ways in which we can get caught up in a, in a negative way of thinking and being in the world, which influences the way we feel and then and our perception like perception is reality. What we perceive becomes what we think. and if we're perceiving something negative, we're going to feel bad. And when we feel bad if we don't have a way of validating, acknowledging, reassuring ourselves, feeling better, then we're often going to use food to cope because food is reliable, available and predictable unlike people who can be unreliable, unavailable and unpredictable. Um The good news is that once you're aware of these kind of cognitive distortions, you can work on changing these thought patterns and and have a more balanced, positive outlook. It's like wearing a, a, a pair of glasses with the wrong prescription. You know, you ever done that? You put them on and it's like, oh, I can't see. But once you correct your vision and have the right prescription, you see yourself and the world around you with much more clarity. So keep in mind also change is always a process. No one sits down at the piano for the first time and plays a Tchaikovsky concerto right away. You have to identify the piano keys, which finger goes to what you've got to learn the chords, and you've got to practice and then practice some more. And you keep practicing until one day you sit down at the piano and you play effortlessly. And there's a similar sequence to stopping the binge cycle stop emotional eating and stress eating stop that yo-yo dieting cycle you've got to follow these steps over and over and over and that will help you create a healthier happier relationship with food for good by the way that's why i talk about liberation it's for good it's not temporary going to stop binging at night, lose weight if that's something you're interested in, gain health and feel better about yourself than you ever have. And that's all without dieting or going to the gym ever, ever, ever. It's really amazing. And that is our show for today. Thank you so much for joining me here on The, the Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. I'm your host, Dr. Nina Sabel Rocklin. I'm here every Thursday at noon Pacific on Voice America. And if you want a deeper dive, into this topic, be sure to check out my best selling book, The Binge Cure Seven Steps to Outsmart Emotional Eating. It is available on Amazon in all formats, including Audible, if you want me to read it to you. Stay curious, not critical, and I will see you next week. Bye for now.
0: Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Each week, she offers valuable insights to stop emotional eating and give steps to lead a joyous life. Tune in next Thursday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.